0: I think the shortage is taking action and really deciding on a massive idea that can truly change the world and and figuring out if you can do it or if you wanna partner with someone that that can help you do it and, and really just going for it.
1: Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Well, friends, you are listening to episode number 75 of the Business for Good podcast. It has been quite the experience researching each of these 75 episodes, and I have learned an immense amount from the inspirational figures who've been guests on the show. We actually had one listener recently write in through the website, businessforgoodpodcast.com, to say that he had only recently found the podcast and has since binge listened to every single episode over a two-week period, and now he feels like he has earned an MBA, but of course for free. Well, I doubt that those who sell MBA degrees would agree that any podcast can substitute for an actual master's degree. But I'm glad that the show was useful for a good number of people. I know it is certainly useful for me. And this episode, I can assure you, is no exception. Two friends who were both working in the alt-protein sector, one at the Good Food Institute and the other at Eat Just, both left their safe jobs to team up and start a risky endeavor, a new company that would put cows out to pasture and mimic dairy, but with plants. A couple of years later, and $15 million of investment later, Equips Foods is expanding and pushing the boundaries of what counts as currently great dairy-free ice cream. They're pushing so hard, in fact, that as you'll hear, a recent blind taste test of more than a dozen people at my own company, The Better Miko, found that a plurality preferred Equips ice cream over two other leading brands, Oatly and Forager. It is a compelling tale of how two friends banded together to create something out of nothing in their effort to build a more humane and sustainable food industry that is just as sweet without relying on the exploitation of animals. I hope that you'll enjoy the episode. I know I certainly had fun doing it, and let us know what you think. Feel free to write in via again the website businessforgoodpodcast.com. We'd love to know what you're hearing and any suggestions that you may have. But for now, enjoy this episode with Equips Foods' co-founder and CEO, Elon Steinhardt. Elon, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. I am psyched to be talking with you. This will be a sweet episode, pun certainly intended. And I am a big fan of both Equips and the people behind Equips. So uh, shame on me for not having had you on the show earlier, but I'm glad that we're rectifying the injustice and in, in getting you on here today. I really appreciate it. No hard feelings at all. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, there might be hard feelings after my first question here. I want to ask you a hard ball. So, Elon, there must be more than a hundred brands of dairy-free ice cream at this point, right? I and mean, there's just so many of them. It's like, you can't even count them all. I remember when I first became vegan in 1993, there was like virtually nothing. And, you, you know, it was like there was one a brand called Dreamy Tofu that we had on the East Coast, which was a private label brand for a local supermarket. And we ate the heck out of that Dreamy Tofu. But today it's an explosion. So why does the world need another dairy-free ice cream company? Very
0: good question. And yeah, we're starting off with hardballs. It's great. All right. Let, let me take a few steps back. Let's just look at the market first. So you have Credit Suisse large investment bank, put out a report earlier this year saying that plant-based is going to be a $1.4 trillion industry. Plant-based alternatives, $1.4 trillion by 2050. Now, today, that's basically we're less than 1% of that. So, there's going to be massive, massive growth in this category. Now, let's zoom in a little bit more and look at plant-based dairy. So, plant-based dairy today makes up about 2.5% of the entire global dairy market is plant-based. So a minuscule percentage. So that leaves about $856 billion of market share to move basically from plant-based or from dairy over to plant-based. So there's still like a massive, massive opportunity in there. And then if we zoom in even more, ice cream is about 3% of the U.S. Ice cream market. So plant based ice cream, 3% of the US ice cream market.
1: And Wait a okay, so just to be clear, what you, you're saying that alt dairy is a tiny fraction of the alt protein sector, and you're saying plant based ice cream is about 3% of the total ice cream sector, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, got it. Thank you. So plant based dairy is
0: 2.5% of the entire dairy sector, and ice cream is about 3%. So There is room for a lot of players in this market. Food is not a winner-take-all market. And when we see these exciting IPOs like Oatly with a $12 billion IPO, Beyond Meat with a $9 billion IPO, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Like we are at the beginning of a huge movement here. Now, let's address your question right away that you asked at the beginning, and that is: is there room for another player? The question is, what are they doing? Because I agree with you. There's a of ice cream out there. In fact, in plant-based dairy, there are a ton of products out there. There's a lot of oat milks and cashew ice creams and soy cheeses, and a lot of the same of that over and over and over again. And all of those are fantastic, and and I enjoy them, but they miss the mark on what mainstream consumers are looking for. And when you look at the data, it shows that the number one reason that mainstream consumers avoid plant-based dairy is taste. And what people want As impossible and beyond have proven is that we want products, the mainstream consumers, that are similar to their animal counterpart. And so that doesn't mean like another oat ice cream or oat milk or whatever. It means something different. And that's exactly what Eclipse Foods is doing, is we make plant-based dairy products that are indistinguishable from their animal counterparts. And so we actually appeal to that mainstream consumer. We overcome that number one objection of plant-based dairy, which is that it doesn't taste like dairy. And therefore, we address that $100 billion dairy market here in the U.S., close to a trillion dollar globally. And we bring over people into this category. And I would say, if there are other companies that are doing that, then by all means, we can use more help.
1: Okay, well, there's so much to unpack there. So first and foremost, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned two and a half or three percent of the ice cream market is now plant based, which is uh, dramatically more than the meat market being plant based. So that's a pretty fascinating thing because, you know, on a volume basis, the meat market is still well under one percent plant-based, whereas even on a dollar's basis, it's about 1% or so. So it's interesting that alt-dairy, excuse me, alt-ice cream has actually gone a lot further than alt-meat in this respect has in terms of taking market share away from the incumbent industry. Do you have any theories as to why that might be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that it's all a spectrum, right? So plant-based meat still has a lot of room to grow to where plant-based ice cream is. But plant-based ice cream has a lot of room to grow to where plant-based milk is, which is 18% market share, right? By dollars, I don't know by volume, but yeah. By dollars, correct. And the reason that we're seeing this, there's a lot of reasons overall, and we can go into the history of plant-based dairy and how it became more mainstream with the milk. But a big part of this is that 70% of the world's population is lactose intolerant. So 70% of, of people out there are eating products that make them feel bad right and so when you think about a need state that is pretty immediate we immediately have a very large percentage of the population that is looking for something that is an alternative or what they're really looking for is a replacement and so when we think about all right well we're at three percent that's pretty good but if you have three percent market share but seventy percent of people are actually intolerant to the current products that are the 97%, then we see there's just a ton of people waiting to be converted into plant-based dairy.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're right about that, Elon. It must be uh, in part due to the fact that so many people have dairy allergies and that may be why plant-based ice cream is taking a greater market share than plant-based meat, at least so far, but we'll see. But anyway, moving on, I've got a hand it to you, Elon, because when we were talking about doing this episode together, we discussed the idea of actually eating some of your ice cream live during the interview, which would have been quite sweet, uh, literally. Uh, but you had a better idea. You suggested doing an actual blind taste testing with Better Meat Co. employees to have them try Equips compared to other plant-based brands. And we would just then announce the results of this blind taste test during our actual interview. So you were so confident that Equips would outperform other brands that you even sent us both Equips and other ice creams to test against yours. So we did it. We had more than a dozen blind taste testers from the Better Meat Co. staff do a blind taste testing, trying chocolate equips, chocolate Oatley, and chocolate forager ice creams. So three dairy-free ice creams with this small focus group. And at the Better Meat Co., we gave these ice creams to folks in identical tiny cups so they had no idea which brand was which. In fact, they didn't even know what brands were being tested at all. And now for the big reveal. While none of the three ice creams tested was preferred by a majority of testers, Equips was the most popular one there, with a large plurality preferring it even over Oatly, which has, of course, a little bit more money than Equips. <laughs> so this was surprising since Equips is not only so new, but also because it had the lowest saturated fat content of the three ice creams that we tested, yet it's still ranked number one in this admittedly small test. So first, Elon, respect on winning the Better Meat Co taste test, but second, why is it that you can have the lowest saturated fat content and still be preferred over these other brands?
0: Well, first, thank you. It is really, really fun to put our product against competitor products. And I'll tell you why I was really confident. It's because not so long ago, we worked with a professor at UC Berkeley to run a blind taste test with over 100 people. And we actually pinned Eclipse against the best-selling dairy ice cream in the U.S., and 73%...
1: Wait a minute, you, you can't just put it out there.
0: What is it? What is the best-selling dairy ice cream? Briars. Briar's. Okay, thank you. We went head-to-head and 73% of respondents actually said that Eclipse was creamier than Briar's, the best-selling dairy ice cream in the US. And a majority of the people liked it the same or preferred it. So the product is incredible. And how are we able to do it? In the end, it comes down... To the very, very beginning of what we set out to create. And Oatly is an amazing company, obviously. And they're an oat company. And Forager is an awesome company. And they're a cashew-based company. And what Eclipse is, Eclipse is a dairy replacement, right? You think about the burger world and you have black bean burgers and quinoa burgers, and those are kind of equivalent to other plant-based competitors of ours. And then you have the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger. And that's a true replacement. And so Eclipse is doing exactly that. We're creating a true replacement for ice cream. And we really looked at the molecular composition of milk and dairy, and we figured out what makes it magical. Turns out it's these micelle formations found in the casein protein in milk. And we recreated that from plants. Non-GMO was all created in a kitchen by my co-founder, who's actually a Michelin star chef total genius, by the way, and we were able to recreate these micelles to then create a product with the taste, texture, and functionality of dairy, but without a lot of the baggage that we all are trying to avoid. And so, that's really how we we did it.
1: So, for those who weren't initiated into the ice cream world, we're talking about micelles here, which is M-I-C-E-L-L-E, right? Correct. Yeah, and what's a micelle?
0: So, a micelle is a microscopic structure that is found, again, like I said, in the casein protein of milk. And that structure, if we want to get a little bit more scientific, it has these hydrophilic heads and hydrophobic tails. It's like a sphere. And what that means is that it captures fat. It basically is a fat encapsulator in emulsion. And dairy in the end is an emulsion. And it's these really stable spherical micelles that allow milk to have its incredible creamy mouthfeel, to have the delicious taste of dairy, but it also allows it to do that magical thing where it turns from a milk to a cream to a cheese, all these different forms, right? And Eclipse, while we have ice cream in the market, it's our first proof of concept for our technology, we really are a dairy platform. And we rely on the mycel technology to allow us to create from kind of our secret sauce, which is literally just our milk base to create all of these different products, including ice cream, cheese, yogurt, and
1: the like. So when people ask you, Elon, what's in this ice cream, right? What do you tell them? What's it made out of? You know, people you were mentioning, okay, one of them is made from cashew milk, another is made from oat milk. What's Eclipse made out of?
0: I tell them first and foremost, that it's similar to how beyond impossible, you don't think of it as like a core hero ingredient because it really is a blend of plants that comes together to replicate the animal version of that product. And Eclipse is the same way. It's 100% non-GMO, like clean product. We use a blend of potato, cassava, and corn to come together to create a lot of that creaminess. And then we have our nutrients and minerals that you would find in conventional dairy as well. We use sugar, we have a fat source, so it's kind of what you would expect, basically like the animal version, but just broken down using plants.
1: I really like it a lot. I'm like uh, an ice cream lover, like I, I, in terms of when people think of themselves of having like a weakness for specific foods, like I actually, a lot of so-called the less healthy foods, I can have an easy time avoiding. But if there's ice cream around, like in my house, I will eat it or anywhere. So that's like the one thing I'm always like, <laughs> if I have it around, like there's, I don't even try to resist it. And Eclipse is phenomenal. And as somebody who you know, would like to minimize the saturated fat that I, was, that I eat, I was glad to see uh, that it was lower in sat fat than, than other ones. So uh, I presume there is something in the processing that you're doing to replicate that type of a mouthfeel. And I was looking at the patent that you all have filed, which talks about what appears to be a very complex process of mixing and altering the pH and heating and using potato peels and all this. And I'm wondering, you, know, you, you mentioned Thomas Bowman, who is your co-founder here who not only, as you said, is a Michelin star chef, but also worked for Eat Just for a long time and made many of their great products like Just Egg and so on. But how long did it take from inception of the company to figuring out this pathway to replicating dairy in the way that you all are successfully doing right now? I can tell you the kind of the story behind
0: it. I will say on the the saturated fat piece, one of the big reasons that we don't have the saturated fat that you just commented on is because we don't use coconut oil. And so, in addition to the fact that we have virtually no saturated fat and no cholesterol, unlike the folks who use coconut oil or conventional dairy, we're also free from all top allergens. So, our base doesn't actually contain coconut or nuts or soy or wheat or anything like that. So, that's been really, really fun because a lot of people who say, oh, well, you know, I can't have dairy or I can't have wheat or I can't have soy. It's like, no, well, you can have Eclipse and that's really nice. So, That's just a bonus that I wanted to add there. But the story of how we really discovered this sort of innovation, I would say, to answer your question, it took us about a year. And the story is that we were, we always had set out to create this functional milk that we could use as a dairy platform. And we were working on a sour cream at the time. I don't know. Did you get to try it, Paul? I don't think I've tried your sour cream. Yeah, it was really early days. So we were working on a sour cream at the time, and it was January 24th at 11.39 PM, but who is counting? And Thomas was working in the lab and he was running like the thousandth iteration of our sour cream. And he was basically putting all the ingredients in the mixer and he changed one ingredient and one processing parameter than he usually did. And he just anticipated it to turn out a little different. But what happened was that all of a sudden the mixer went from having this really steady hum to kind of having like a strange noise, like this up and down, like, and he didn't understand what was going on. And he looked, and what he saw was kind of that eureka moment for Eclipse. He saw this liquid that had strained to the bottom, and then on the side, these chunks. And really, what it was, it was we had gotten flocculation in the product and and we had gotten like curds and whey, right? Like dairy. And it was this-
1: I I imagine this is, you know, I've thought many times about after humans domesticated cows and were drinking cow's milk for some time, but before anybody had figured out how to make milk curdle. So nobody had cheese yet. Like nobody had ever fantasized about brie or Gouda or Swiss or cheddar or anything. And then you normally use rennet to make milk curdle. And I imagine it must have been like somebody was transporting milk in a calf's intestinal, you know, as a calf's intestine is like a vessel to hold it in or something. And they figured out what this was, right? And then they figured out how to make cheese. I imagine that this moment that Thomas had there. Must have been similar, like realizing that you've gone from one type of a product to another type of a product. I mean, I can't comment on the prehistoric, but this for sure was
0: a really, really special moment. And he actually, he called me because I wasn't in the lab at 1139. I was, I think, sleeping. And he called me and I asked him, like, what happened? And he's like, Elon, you don't understand. We have curds and whey. (laughs) <laughs> the next day, we really celebrated. And that was a moment where we kind of... Thomas went a little into the deep of it. And he said, I can make anything. And he's this creative genius. And so, he started making everything. Like he made cheeses and creams and whipped creams and ice cream. And, and at one point, we basically said, well, just because we can make everything doesn't mean we should. We're still a small team. And so we decided let's win the hearts and minds people. Let's show them that plant-based does not require sacrifice. Let's make the best damn ice cream they've ever tasted. And then from there, they'll trust us to make any other dairy product. And that's really where we're at today.
1: That's really something. Yeah, it's really something. So let's just go back then, uh, maybe not to back to prehistoric times, but let's say to pre-equips times because the company is pretty young, right? I think, what year were you founded? 2019. So, you know, you're only a couple of years in, you spent the first year just doing R&D. Now you're just starting to get it in the market. I don't believe that Equip's ice cream is available nationally just yet. Is that right?
0: We're available in most of the major U.S. markets, but it's in select locations. So kind of the really high-end leading natural grocery stores in most U.S. markets, you can find us.
1: So let's go back then, not to 2019, but to 2018, when you were working for the Good Food Institute... And Thomas was working at Just. What was it that led you two together to say, hey, let's leave our jobs? And, you know, you, have, you both have these secure, cool jobs in the alternative protein space, do both doing good things in the world already. And then you think, eh, we should start a new company. What happened?
0: Yeah, I mean, it really came down to sort of what I was seeing and what Thomas was seeing. So I was at the Good Food Institute. I, I joined there to help start the innovation department. And what the innovation department did was one, we were running an incubator for the plant-based, cell-based and fermentation-based space. And so I got to see pretty high level view of what was happening in the market, what wasn't and where were the opportunities. Thomas at that time was working really deeply in developing products. He actually developed over 50 products from lab bench to commercial scale. And so he had a ton of experience in knowing what he could do and what kind of products he could bring to the world. And we got together and we really talked about the market. And we said, well, let's look at alternative proteins. We have meat and Impossible and Beyond were doing a pretty good job at creating a replacement as opposed to a substitute. So we said, meat's doing pretty well. So let's look at eggs. And the Just Egg 2.0 had just come out and it's a great product. It really replicates eggs in a pretty impressive way.
1: I hate to interrupt you. I just got to give a plug for it because it is my favorite of all of the alt-protein products. Like, it is the only one that I regularly buy and eat, actually. That's how good I think it is. That's awesome. It's a feat of science. It really is an impressive product. And Tony, my wife, absolutely loves it. She'll eat it for dinner, lunch, breakfast. She doesn't care. She's like, oh, if it's just egg, I'll eat it whenever. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So he's created this awesome product. So we looked
0: at, right. We looked at meat. We said there's companies doing meat pretty well. We looked at egg. We said there's actually a really good egg there. And then we looked at dairy and we said, you know what? Ironically, there's so many dairy substitutes. Like there were already tons and tons of almond milks or like, you know, soy cheeses or cashew ice creams, but there were really no replacements. No one was doing what Impossible and Beyond or just were doing in their categories in dairy. And so we said, well, this is obvious. Like Thomas is one of the world's experts in emulsions because he's been working in plant protein, functional plant proteins and emulsions for basically as long as those things have been even cool or relevant. And so we said, let's just create these dairy products that actually replace conventional dairy and therefore win over mainstream consumers and make a huge impact, not just from the dairy perspective, but I think once you get consumers to, accept this concept of, oh, yeah, I'm going to replace one thing for plants, then it makes them a lot more open minded to doing it across the entire category of like all food.
1: Wow. And so was it a difficult decision for you all, though, to leave your stable jobs where you had good careers and potential pathways for advancement within your own organizations to go out on a limb and start something brand new that is far more unstable and unlikely to succeed? Yes. I think the sane person would
0: say yes. I think that Thomas and I are both pretty optimistic people. So when we set out to create Eclipse, we weren't too worried about failing. I mean, we felt pretty confident that we could create something. And more than anything, we cared about the mission so deeply. And our mission is to create a more sustainable, healthy, and ethical food system. And I knew that if we were to be successful at growing Eclipse to be the beyond meat or impossible food equivalent for dairy and beyond that, then we would make such an immense mission impact that the personal risk that it took to leave a job to me didn't seem like a big part of the calculus. Because I don't know, I think Thomas and I are both confident. And I think, by the way, I say this to candidates that we interview all the time, like you will always be able to go back and be at the level that you are doing something similar to what you're doing. But you are almost never going to have the opportunity to, for me, it was to start a company in this space in this time. And for candidates, it's like to join a company in our space that's literally like the rocket ship is taking off. So jump on board. It's almost like very low risk considering that you could always bounce back. And that's a thing of privilege, but it's also a thing that, that, propels us to do good work.
1: Man, you're, you're making me want to apply, Elon. We'll, we'll talk. Okay? So listen, so think about it, then you're just thinking to yourself, I'm going to quit my job. Thomas is going to quit his job. You both are really known in the space, like your personal identities in the space were really associated with your jobs, like his with eJust just and yours with GFI. Now you want to go start this new chapter. So you guys quit. Did you have any idea of where you might get funding? Were you thinking, oh, we're going to apply to Y Combinator? Like, what was the first step that you took?
0: I was fairly connected in the investor space, specifically around alternative proteins. So we didn't think about it initially. Initially, we were just tinkering. But we always kind of thought like, oh, you know, probably turn to some of the folks that I had met while I was at the Good Food Institute and pitch them on, on this concept. What was interesting is it didn't go that way. So I happened to go on Y Combinator's website, Y Combinator being the world's leading tech accelerator. They funded folks like Dropbox and Reddit, Coinbase, who else? Instacart, like some really big folks. And I went on their website and I saw that it was the last day for late submissions. And so I said to Thomas, Thomas, should we apply? Like, why not? And we decided to apply. Because we thought maybe at least this will be good feedback for us on what is attractive and what is not attractive about our story. And so we applied and we heard back and they invited us to do an interview with them. It was in person, an interview of why they should accept us into the batch. And this story is pretty fun because in the application, we had said that we had already created a sour cream that was indistinguishable from conventional sour cream. And was that true? It was. I mean, we'd created a prototype that was pretty (laughs) compelling.
1: Did you also (laughs) tell them that you could measure 100 diseases from one drop of blood? (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. All right. So you tell them you have this phenomenal sour cream, then what? And then they're
0: like, all right, well, we want to talk to you in two weeks. And so I turned to Thomas and I said, well, what's the chance of us making this sour cream actually indistinguishable in the next two weeks? And he said, well, let's see what I can do. And we walked in there, and again, like Thomas being a chef, and he's actually a Japanese trained chef. So we had these like beautiful bento boxes with like the most beautiful crudité of vegetables and rainbow radishes and all these awesome things. And we had three globs of white stuff. And one glob was Eclipse, and the other was Daisy, which is the best selling sour cream in the US, and the other was Tofuti sour cream. And we did a blind taste test. <laughs> so you can tell, Paul, that the blind taste test overconfidence is like there's a history of it. it. It
1: eclipse. Living life on the edge here.
0: Always. And we did a blind taste test. And out of the five judges, or I guess interviewers, three out of the five really couldn't tell the difference. They didn't know between ours and Daisy which was which. They knew that Tofuti was the vegan one. One of them was convinced that ours was the dairy one. And the last person was just pretty confused about the whole thing. I don't think she was very used to sensory panels. But after that, they said, okay, well, we want you guys in. And kind of the rest is history from there, because then we got plugged into this incredible YC ecosystem. From there, we raised our seed round at the end of of YC. We raised the seed round with Alexis Ohanian's fund, Initialize Capital. Alexis is the founder of Reddit, Initialize has funded...
1: Also some incredible businesses. I was with you the night that you closed that. We were at our mutual friend's house. And uh, I remember, I think it was, what was it? $3 million? It was a total
0: of, of 3 point
1: something. But around that, yeah. Who's counting? I think to put it mildly, you were enthusiastic about it. But I know you've gone on to raise a lot more since then. So after that initial seed, was it a seed round that you called a $3 million seed round? It was. It was a seed round, yeah. And then what, how much has the company gone on to raise since then? So
0: since then, we raised basically after we launched the product. So we launched the product initially in food service, and it was this liquid ice cream mix. We launched it in two really high-end ice cream shops, and from there, it just got a ton of press and attention, and front page of CNN and in the SF Chronicle and uh, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and we had hundreds of businesses reaching out saying, "Hey, we want this product." So there was a ton of momentum there. Like we were in Google, we closed a small national chain, like the rocket ship was taking off. And so during that time, we closed around pretty quickly a Series A. It was $12 million Series A from Forerunner Ventures. And Forerunner, they're incredible. They've done a lot of the top consumer brands like Warby Parker, Outdoor Voices, Dollar Shave Club. And so they were amazing. And then we also were lucky to get investment from Seth Goldman, who's the chairman of Beyond Meat. And also an advisor to me, which is uh, really, really cool.
1: And a previous guest on this show.
0: That's right. And a previous guest. And then we've also raised a bit more capital like from debt. So it's been a good ride from a capital perspective. Absolutely.
1: That's really exciting. So how many folks are working there now, Elon?
0: Honestly, we're like hiring new people every day. I think right now we're 26 or 27.
1: So if you could go back to the very beginning in 2019 and think, well, you know, within two years, we'll have raised, you know, maybe around 15 million or so and have a couple dozen people working here, would that have been in accord with what you thought would happen? Or would it exceed your dreams about it? Or would it fall short? That's a good question. I'm going to answer you genuinely. I... I'm glad that the other ones I thought were they might be lies. <laughs> so I'm glad that I'm going to get finally an honest answer here.
0: No, but I feel like this is kind of like the how I built this question of like, people can can kind of answer in a way that frames up their image of themselves. I kind of like to take things sort of step by step. So when we set out in 2019 to, to start this company, I don't think I was thinking two years down the line of, oh, you know, like, this is how many people I would want. And this is how much I've wanted to raise. I think I very much was like, all right, the next goalpost is demo day. And we need to make sure that we do a really good job at demo day. And then at demo day, it was like the next goalpost now that we've raised our seed round, is launching with these amazing partners, which is going to get us X, Y, and Z. And I think it's important with startups to keep that flexibility and not set, at least for me, not set my mind on like, these are the numbers. So, I mean, if you would have told me that, I think I would have said like, that is in line with the, the growth trajectory that, that we envision. I will say, if COVID wouldn't hit, we would probably be like, two times bigger because of the just the sheer amount of demand that there was from food service going into it. So there is the expectations and then there's the reality and then there is what you do with it and I think pretty proud of, of what we've
1: done. That's great. It's certainly to be proud of. So what's the price uh, differential right now between you and let's say a Briars or another mainstream type conventional popular ice cream? Yeah, so
0: we're right at the sort of premium dairy pricing. So somewhere between conventional and organic.
1: If I go to Whole Foods and I'm going to buy one pint of Equips, what am I likely to pay? Like, what's the suggested retail? It would be between five ninety nine and six ninety nine. It depends on the retailer. Okay. Right. So, so like a higher end, I think what would that be? Like a Haagen type ice cream? Would that be around there or no?
0: Maybe just a hair more, like a dollar more, or something like that. What's Breyers? Briars, they don't sell in pints. Like, is it twice as much? Yeah, they don't they don't sell pints, so I'm trying to make the conversion. But let's say that we need to be at like two ninety nine a pint to undercut like
1: even the cheapest dairy. Got it. So yeah, like I guess uh you know Ben and Jerry's like what is their if you know what is like if I go to the store and I buy a pint of Ben and Jerry's either vegan or non vegan ice cream like what is do you know what they're selling for? They're at
0: about four ninety nine five ninety nine four ninety nine is like the kind of the typical conventional retailer price point for your sort of slightly premium dairy ice cream.
1: So what, what's the plan then? Like you want to cut two thirds of your cost out, right? In order to get down to where you want to undercut on price. So do you have a pathway? I mean, is it, can that all be accomplished through scale or is there formulation changes or other types of modifications that you need to make in order to cut out those uh, two thirds to get down to there?
0: Well, first I'll validate your assumption, right? is like, that's absolutely where we are going, right? Like the whole point of this business is to create a moment where people can walk into the grocery store and pick up any dairy product, whether that's ice cream or milk or cheese or yogurt. And one of them is Eclipse and one of them is the conventional. And you look down and you say, okay, like these are the same taste and same flavor and same price to this point. And really, the only difference is that one makes me feel better and is better for the planet is better for animals and is better for my kids and their future and is also better for me feeling that I'm eating in line with my values. And that's really like the mission. And so when you ask about how do we get to that price point, that is like quintessential part of the mission of this company is to get to that price point so that the ethical and sustainable... And healthy choice is the default choice. Now, to answer your question, it comes down to scale. And it comes down to reformulation when we're talking about less premium product. Though quality is always going to be super key to Eclipse because, again, like our roots are culinary. Like Thomas says, chef d'or a total of 16 Michelin stars, twice nominated James Beard Icing star chef, and Zagat's 30 under 30. So really always making sure that the product is amazing. But, yeah, as we scale, as the industry scales as well, the types of ingredients that we're buying are no longer going to be used by just a handful of manufacturers, but they're going to be larger scale, reformulation. And then let's see what happens. Maybe there's some sort of unexpected shift in the horizon where the whole world is realizing that industrial animal agriculture is destroying the planet. And the whole world also wants to avert climate change. And so maybe we stop subsidizing some industrial animal agriculture, such as dairy, and the artificially depressed dairy prices actually start rising a little bit. And so we're not banking on that, but it's not out of the question that there will be some changes structurally that will make plant-based be able to compete even faster than we expect.
1: Right. I mean, this is actually what happened with the uh, replacement of rennet with fermentation-produced chymosin and cheese. So, you know, it's interesting if you look at why uh, nearly actually more than 90% of the cheese that's sold in America no longer contains rennet from a calf's intestinal lining. It is not because companies like Pfizer figured out how to cut the costs of their fermentation produced chymosin. Chymosin is the enzyme in uh, rennet that makes milk curdle. But, you know, the only way people had to make milk curdle was with calf intestinal linings before But in the uh, 1980s, when veal consumption started plummeting for animal welfare reasons, there weren't that many calf intestines left around anymore to use for this industry. And so the price of rennet actually shot up, which led to companies like Pfizer actually being able to market their alternative to rennet produced through fermentation in a more cost-competitive way. And so it's interesting if you go back and you look around 1990, when these products first came on the market it really was enabled not necessarily by cost cutting, although it's part of it, but really by cost increases in the animal-based version of it.
0: There is a compelling reason why we should have animal-based products be their true price. I think everyone is seeing it. It couldn't come sooner.
1: It certainly could not. No, I know. So, all right, Awan. Well, first, congratulations on the advancements that you've made in in the product creation and innovation. It's certainly making a lot of people, myself and my coworkers here at The Better Meet Co. happy. So, I'm very happy about everything that you're doing. Let me ask you like there's lots of things that you could have done and so I presume that uh, you know a dairy alternative company was one idea among the ideas that you had back in 2019, but are there any other ideas for companies that you hope that somebody else will start since you're busy doing Equips? Is there something else that would make the world better that you hope that somebody who's listening might take up and say, "Hey, you know, I want to have the same success that A1 is having, but I don't want to compete against him on ice cream. What should that person do?" I have this thought a lot, as you can imagine, pretty
0: clear thing that two and a half years ago when we started Eclipse, or I guess it's even more now, but when we started Eclipse, Thomas and I kind of looked at that landscape and we said, meat, okay, we get it, like eggs, looks like it's happening, dairy needs love, but seafood was another thing that we were extremely close to working on. The truth is that seafood as a concept is that is such an absurdly large category and the percent of the market share of marine based food that is plant based is minuscule like it is so so early days
1: yeah it's like a, it's like a rounding error in the plant based meat market
0: yeah complete rounding error and and really has very very little acceptance in terms of like distribution right you don't see it very often. Like certainly you see it in Whole Foods and, and places that people are looking for it, but a lot less in restaurants compared to your burgers and in other food service establishments and in grocery stores and things like that. There's just so much work to be done there. And in the end, it's the exact same challenge. is Can you make something that truly tastes and gives that experience that can replace the animal counterpart. And I think from a mission perspective and from a market perspective, it is absolutely like super critical and also just extremely exciting.
1: All right. Well, you might say there's a notion of opportunity out there for people in the uh, alt seafood space. But yeah, I actually, um, in Sacramento, uh, Long John Silver's, the like uh, fast food seafood chain is currently testing some of the good catch crab free crab cakes i went there with my wife tony and our friend michelle and we got them and it was quite a surreal experience to walk into a long john silvers and get these plant-based crab cakes it was pretty it was pretty fun that's the only time that i'm aware of that there has been something like that that happened on like a a qsr menu where there was some type of all seafood on there but was really cool that's incredibly exciting yeah it was fun it was really fun So people should start some alternative seafood. I'll I'll put out my own recommendation. There's already a little bit of stuff that's happening, right? Like on fish and crab. There's a lot of octopuses and squid who are being killed. There's nobody who's like got the impossible foods of squid or octopus yet, right? And like calamari is something that is like battered and deep fried and you put lemon juice on it. So there's a lot of ways to kind of conceal it. So you don't need to be like perfect at right from the get go. So anyway, I, I hope that somebody will do, will do something like that because I actually think there's just like this great opportunity. You know, people like eating that food all over the world, but especially in Asia and there's a big, big sustainability problem with it as an animal, animal welfare and so on. So anyway, hopefully somebody will do that. Final question for you here, Elon you have been a real expert in innovation and entrepreneurship for a long time. Even before the Good Food Institute, you were somebody who was extremely knowledgeable about the entrepreneurial world and have engaged in other entrepreneurial pursuits. So were there any books or other things, resources that were useful for you that you would recommend to other people that are listening who might benefit from some of the things that have helped you? I can share the
0: um, pieces of media that have had the most impact on me. I think one is Cowspiracy, actually. It's a film that I watched before I even joined the Good Food Institute and it really opened my eyes to the impacts of industrial animal agriculture on the planet. And I had not realized that before. Things like that industrial animal agriculture is responsible for more climate change than all of transportation combined. Or that 90% of the deforestation of the Amazon rainforest comes from industrial animal agriculture. Just really big things that they're just real and we have to address them. So I think those were pretty key.
1: And for those who want to watch it, it's a Calspiracy is available on Netflix. That's right.
0: From an entrepreneurial perspective, I do think Y Combinator and Paul Graham have put out just incredible materials that are available to the public. And they are so, so valuable. And honestly, there's, there are so many founder libraries and things like that out there that I think that from an advice perspective, I don't think there's a shortage. I think the shortage is taking action and really deciding on a massive idea that can truly change the world and, and figuring out if you can do it or if you want to partner with someone that, that can help you do it and, and really just going for it. Because in the end, you learn the best when, when you're out in the trenches.
1: Yeah. You know, people ask me this all the time. And I always tell them, you know, like, if you want to learn how to play soccer, the best thing to do is not to get a book about how to play soccer. It's to get out on the field and start practicing. And I feel the same way about so many other things in life, including this very field that we're talking about. The Best way to learn about companies is to either join or start one yourself. It's hard to do. Like, people joke that when you start your own company, you will sleep like a baby because you will wake up every two hours and cry. You know, I'm sure that there are there are some times when you feel like that, you certainly as the cliche goes will miss the shot if you don't take it. And I can't tell you how glad I am to see so many more people garnering the, the, uh, will to start some new endeavors and hopefully they can turn around the crisis that we are causing as a species right now. So I'm grateful to you, Elon, for all that you're doing to try to help humanity reverse course on the destruction that we're waging right now. And I'm looking forward to seeing Eclipse, not only ice cream, but all types of other animal free dairy products on the market very soon. So thanks so much. And I'll look forward to enjoying some more of the equips that you're going to send to our office. Here, <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Thank you, Paul. I had a great time. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.